Good morning, good morning, good morning, welcome. Um, that little promo is promoting our next five-week sermon series called Open House, and it's exploring the hospitality of God in the Bible. I have a question for you. Have you ever put your home up for sale? You meet with the realtor uh, who makes suggestions on how you improve your home, you go on to Pinterest or Instagram to get an idea of how to prep your house, how to open it up, how to make it feel fresh and welcoming, how to make it, you know, you advertise it to say things like, you know, it's not haunted. Um, if, if the slide actually works, we'll throw it up, um, where there's this one promotion where uh, there was this like strip of homes that everyone was afraid was haunted so that they would put on the open house, like on the sign, they would say, uh, not haunted. I thought that was pretty funny to see. That's a good advertisement for, uh, that, that'll sell it. You know what, I'm going to buy that house. If you have to say not haunted, uh, anyways. <laughs> um, there was this one blog post on homelight.com that said this, preparing for an open house is like throwing a party for a bunch of guests you don't get to meet. It's stressful and a little weird. Um, but if you decide to host one, be aware that buyers will come into your home with steep expectations. Um, Zinta, a top agent, uh, said this, 30 years ago when I used to sell a house, nobody tidied up. Nobody made the bed. Nobody cleaned off the kitchen counters or the bathrooms. You understood it was a used house. Someone was living there. But today, buyers demand that the house be, that is on sale, be as close to perfect as the sellers can possibly afford. And so with that pressure, you prepare. Step one, hide everything. <laughs> Eliminate half of your belongings, put it into like a storage container, rent another home to hide everything in it. You know, declutter, take down the posters, remove the heirlooms and the keepsakes, take down pictures, hide the dog, hide the children, then run away. Um, essentially, make your house unlivable so that somebody else can imagine living in it. Um, and while we can appreciate some of those insights for selling a home, the challenge, the problem, is that our culture essentially asks us to do the same when it comes to just plain old opening up our house. The list of to-dos to sell a house sounds a lot like the list of to-dos when you're inviting someone over for hospitality. Hide the dog, hide the children, run away. Um, when you hear the word hospitality, what comes to your mind? What do you picture? Uh, what, what do you picture when you think of being the host? Uh, for me, I picture my great aunt always filling that bowl of like jelly beans or all sorts. Um, we think to ourselves that this is a job for grandma. This is a job for maybe those other cultures. Um, this is a picture for maybe, we hear statements like, Mikasa is sukasa, like my house is your house. And we think, oh, that's so nice. That's so lovely, just not for me. Uh, locked up in the word hospitality, uh, we have images of HGTV, 
the food network, these perfect homes, perfect backyard barbecues with a smoker on the side, and then all of this pressure to be a foodie and to have this perfect Pinterest home, and it's like all this overwhelming, and you can't, you can't even conceive of how to pull all of that off. And if you can't reach this cultural expectation, right, then forget it. Essentially, hide the truth of your home before opening it up. Um, and the challenge with this cultural ideation of how we think of hospitality is that we as Christians believe it too. We hold to this view of perfectionism um, that you either have to have the gift of hospitality and you have to be able to perfectly roast the duck. Why did I pick duck? Nobody eats duck anymore. Perfectly roast the duck. Um, or forget it. You just can't do it. It's just impossible. But then we, uh, we see passages like this. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing uh, so, by doing so uh, some people have been known to show hospitality to angels without knowing it. Or 1 Peter 4.9, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I thought the definition of hospitality was to frantically prep and then grumble. Like, isn't that what hospitality is? Um, or Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people uh, who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice. Why, why practice a sport I never intend to play? But in either case, um, Leviticus 19, 34 says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So we read passages like this, and we don't know what to do. The Christian is invited, called to act with hospitality, to embrace that step of embracing the other as a way of life. And yes, while some people might have that particular gift, unique gift of hospitality, it is a task that is called for all of us to be a way of life. We are still called, all of us, to cultivate the practice of hospitality. Christian hospitality, making room for the other. But honestly, this kind of feels impossible sometimes. My home isn't perfect. We say, I can't right now, my life, my home, it's, it's just not good enough. Or we say, I can't, I've forgotten how to like, socially interact with people. It would be weird and awkward. We say, I can't open up my home, that's not safe. It, it, I'm not allowed, I'm not supposed to. Um, or perhaps it's like, why should I? No one's invited me over, I, why would I do that to someone else? I can't open up my home, I, I don't have a home. I don't even have a home to offer. Or I live in a dorm room, or I live in the basement of my parents' place, and I, I just can't. And we have our reasons, and I get it. I understand it too. But we must figure out this challenge. We have to figure this out. The world needs it. We need it. Um, we, we're aching for connection in this world. We are aching for it. 
Um, and with the cultural climate being what it is and has been for the last two years, we are in desperate need of connection with one another, with other humans. We have this profound isolation that we've been living out of and living in for so long that I think it's maybe broken some of us down to the point where we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. I remember kind of in the middle of the pandemic, um, I had gone about a couple of weeks where I realized I didn't even had human contact, like no touch, like no actual human interaction. And I went over to my friend's place and one of uh, their kids ran up to me and gave me a hug. And it like took all of my strength to not just cry right there in that moment. That child would have been very confused. Like, don't misunderstand my tears, I'm loving this. I, my, my brother uh, used to, quite humorously, one of my brothers, um, he would come up to me and he would grab me and give me this big hug. And as he's hugging me, he would remind me, he'd be like, Trent, serotonin. I'd be like, yeah, and he'd be like, serotonin, you need it. You can't live without it. It helps you like focus your mind and have energy and not have depression. And he's like, and you need it for, you need to have a hug for seven whole seconds. So I'm like sitting there and he's like, one, two, three, four, five, six. Just some of you right now, you know, where the, your love language is not touch, you are just dying inside being like, there's not a chance. There's not a chance. Find me after the service. We'll count to seven. It'll be great. We'll be fine. Um, but we need serotonin. It's a biological reality for us to connect with one another. It's a challenge. The isolation that we've been living in, the disconnection over these past couple of years have created deep, unspoken, quiet wounds. We have a new reticence to step out and step into the lives of other people. We have new fears of social gatherings that have emerged and just being in a large group is triggering. Perhaps you carry new shames because of actions or inactions that you've done. Or perhaps you harbor anger and resentment to others for their actions or inactions. Maybe you've just lost that sense of momentum and you don't know what to do about it all. Disconnection from others and presenting that kind of Instagram world where everything is going fine, it's really messing with us. And the world, like you and I, we're getting tired of it and we really need to live differently. And there is another way. And it starts with the character of God. Um, before we talk about what to do and what hospitality looks like, and that we can do in the weeks to come, we'll look at barriers um, of how we can face it and overcome the breaking of these barriers. We'll look at the hidden gift of hospitality for both the host and the guest. And we'll talk about how Christian hospitality is creative and it can tap into your uniquenesses. It doesn't have to be the bowl of all, all sorts and the perfect dinner set. But first, we can take a look. We'll look firsthand at the character of God, the very nature of who God is. The God that we follow is the host, was the first host. And that God is the one who defines what it means, not Barbecue Magazine. 
So would you turn with me to the very, very beginning, if you have your Bibles or your phones and you kind of want to get into this, I encourage you to do so. It'll help you wake up too. If you're, if you're falling asleep or if you're yawning or whatever, just grab your phone. Just don't go onto Instagram. Like, that's like literally the exact opposite of what I want you to do right now. Go onto your Bible app and let's get into it. We're going to take a look at chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis. I'm going to take little snippets out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and I want us to be thinking as I read these passages, what does this say to us about hospitality? What is this teaching us quietly through story about the nature of God as host? All right, so we're going to take a look at that and we're going to start at Genesis 1, 26 to 31. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And what I love about this first portion is this is a picture, this is part of the story of God being transcendent creator, the all-powerful creator. So let's start with this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock. All the wild animals on the earth and the small animals, they scurry along to the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. You're already seeing maybe some hints. For those of you that like to get into scripture and kind of tease things out, there were some, some moments in that passage, some statements. I have given you every seed-bearing plant. So let's continue on though. Now this is from a perspective, this perspective, this story has a more personal tone to the nature of God. The God who is known and is revealed to the people of Israel. So I'm going to read to you Genesis 2, 4 to 9, and then Genesis 3, 6 to 10. This is in the NIV. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of, ground, of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, were the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Seeing small, small hints of maybe the personality and the nature of God in that. And then we skip on 
to Genesis 3, 6 to 10. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, quick aside, this was something that they were expressly told not to do by God. You can do anything, just don't eat this tree. Eat from this tree. And so she did. She ate from it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the men, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So what can we take from all of these moments, all of these stories, these pictures, as we think about hospitality and God as host. All of human life begins with God's act of hospitality. God creates a world, and then he brings us into his garden, a garden that takes care of our needs. It's a home with God. A home typified by walks with God in the cool of the evening, something that seems as though that was a regular practice. They hid from the Lord, and then we see this picture of him, God walking through the garden, being like, hey, where are you? Aren't we supposed to be going for a walk right now? And so we have this picture. Humanity's first experience of God is God providing both a place and a community. And then, just in the next chapter, what do we do with God's hospitality? I remember, um, I would go over, my my family, we we have several, I have a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins, and we would go over to my one aunt's place, and it was a fantastic meal, everything you could imagine, enjoying all of it, And then, without permission, and there was never permission given, I went, I remember I went into the freezer, I opened it up, and I saw freezies. So I went in and I took a freezie for myself, and then I'm like just going around. I'm old enough to know that this wasn't appropriate, by the way. This wasn't like three-year-old Trent. Actually, three-year-old Trent couldn't figure out how to get into a freezie. Anyway. Anyway, so I'm enjoying a freezy. My aunt comes over and sees me, and she's like, what are you doing? You're not allowed. This isn't for you. You're not allowed. And the rest of the cousins are all staring like, can I I have one? And I just wrecked the whole situation. Um, God's created this world, right? And what do we do with his hospitality? He gives it to us all, all that we need and more. And then we steal that which wasn't ours. We take it, we sin, and that sin drives us to run and hide and feel shame, and then we blame our failings on other people. My sister made me take the freezy. She wasn't even there. Um, She still made me do it. Um, God invited us into his home. He brought us everything that we need, Um, and then when he's not looking and we think he's not looking, we go through his drawers and we see what he's got, and then we take things. And then yet, uh, despite that behavior, 
From that day on, God has been working to make a way for us to get back to him. And we've been consistently finding ways to hide and run from him. Human beings are terrible house guests in the house of the Lord. Um, We've grabbed for what isn't ours. We take what hasn't been given. We've defiled his pristine world. um, But he welcomes us anyways. And all the way through scripture, we see that God is constantly encouraging and commanding his people to be like him and praising those who embrace the heart of hospitality, making room for others. Just a quick, quick history survey here. Abraham, we see in Abraham's story in chapters 12, 14, 18, and 19, each of these stories seems to hinge on proper hospitality or improper hospitality of how you treat a stranger. The story seems to turn on what they do with hospitality. Later on in the Old Testament, we have stories like Rahab, who welcomes the Hebrew spies, who is then saved from the destruction of her city and is welcomed into the family of God. We have Elijah receiving the hospitality of the widow. We have Elisha, who is hosted by the Shumanite woman in 2 Kings 4. And then we move on to the, the other prophets, the, sm- the prophets that are later on, and we see time and time again that these prophets are reminding and encouraging Israel and Judah that God will judge them based on how they love the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. So before Jamie Oliver invited his friends over for a meal, God was opening up his pantry inviting anyone who was willing to come. Though I would love to share a meal with Jamie Oliver, as long as he's the one who made it, right? Um, And then before Martha Stewart, right? Had that perfect place setting, and oh, God was setting a table before us. Before Maria Kondo invited us to create a home that sparks joy. God was creating with us a home of joy and peace. And this is important. The notion of hospitality as inviting is more, far more than inviting people over for a meal. That is, that's, that's beautiful, but it's so much more than that. It includes a way of life to become central to the very identity of what it means for us to be a church, to be a people of God. And we can see that all through Israel's journey, all through scripture, we see this call to welcome others, to embrace the outsider, to make room in our lives for others and for that to be at the heart of God and who he is that defines his value of what it means for us to be the people of God. And God uses and invites us to embrace hospitality as a way of expanding his kingdom and bringing restoration to our world. And we haven't even gotten to Jesus yet. This is all Old Testament. Jesus, who expresses the hospitality of God perfectly and beautifully, who loves his neighbor as himself. And where Israel failed to be hospitable, Jesus did not. Jesus perfectly demonstrated that hospitality is in the character, the nature of God. And he did it without owning a home. So 
there's an interesting challenge for us. So we have these stories, we have this picture, we have this call for us to embrace hospitality. Doesn't mean it's easy, doesn't mean it's simple for us to do, but the call is there and it's rooted in the nature of who God is. The God we serve, the God we follow is the God of an open house, a hospitable God who is calling all of us to be that kind of community. Christian hospitality is not Pinterest perfect parties, though you're welcome to have that and you're welcome to invite me over for that. But it isn't about that. It's opening our hearts up to others. And we don't have to let culture dictate what that means and what that looks like. We can go to God to understand what that looks like. Last week after our service, we, uh, your board handed out hot dogs and root beer, and I just kind of stood back for a moment and just joy welled up within my heart. I was so appreciative of the way that we were laughing, talking, telling stories, connecting with one another. And I've heard people talk about First Church as a church that is welcoming, a welcoming church. And if that is our strength, one of our strengths, then I encourage us to build on that, to take that instinct, to take that desire, and for us to grow that, expand that, become creative with how we can be hospitable to each other and our world. Slowly turn those chats over a root beer into maybe a meal in a home, or a coffee at Tim Hortons, or a walk in the garden. But if all that feels like it's still a little bit too much, then this is our homework for the week. In prayer this week, try thinking about God as the first host who has invited you. Talk to him this week about all of the ways that he has made room for you in your life. Then make a list of the ways you can make space for others. Hospitality started with God. He made a home for humanity. And even though we've been terrible house guests, that hasn't stopped his pursuit of us. He hasn't stopped inviting you to join his family. Perhaps today you are sensing God's whisper, come home, stop hiding, come walk with me. And I would encourage you, stop pretending that you're okay being separated from God. If you sense that you are separated from God, if you feel as though God has a party going on somewhere, but you're on the outside looking in, I want you to know that you are not alone in that feeling. Every single person here who follows Jesus has at some point found themselves on the outside and made a decision to allow Christ in, to allow God to be a part of their life, to take that step of faith. Every single person who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior has felt that tug in their heart, that yearning to enter into relationship with God. A desire to come out of hiding, admitting their need of Jesus to forgive them of their sin and heal them of their brokenness. And if you would like to take that next step in your faith journey, I would encourage you to do that today. 
Jesus is inviting some of you to join him today. And his house is open. His house is big. There is room for all. And he desires to have a relationship with you. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we're going to sing one final song as a conclusion. And as they sing this song, I would invite that if there's any of you that feel like you need to just use movement, use physical action, come to the altar and pray and say, Lord, I'm ready to turn over a new leaf. I'm ready to get, step out of my own world and start figuring out how to love others in a new way. I, I'm tired of being locked up in fear and I want to be free. Or perhaps this is a decision day for you where you want to decide, today's the day I, I think I want to join this family. I would encourage you to find a pastor, find myself, Pastor Tammy, Stephen, Pastor Laurel, Pastor Rob. Find our community and have a conversation what about, about what it means to join Jesus. Pastor Blaine, there's many of us, and not just pastors, that would love to have a conversation with any of you about next steps in your faith. Let's pray and sing.